everyone, and welcome back. This week, I'm really excited to share my conversation with Valerie Bajinski. Now, Valerie is an osteoarthritis wellness specialist, and she serves women seeking to reduce joint pain and inflammation so they can live their best life. She holds a master's degree in nursing and a bachelor's degree in health education, and she's also a certified health coach and has practiced as a registered nurse for over 25 years. Now, on top of all that, you know, amazing qualifications, Valerie herself was diagnosed with osteoarthritis at the age of 27. So she has lived for a number of years with osteoarthritis, gone through her diagnosis, what she does, and then accumulated all this amazing knowledge and has put that all together and now helps women with arthritis to develop the habits they need to live their best life. So she really is a wealth of information. And you may be sort of thinking, oh, osteoarthritis, you know, it's not a topic I need to listen to. I don't have it. But it's one of those things that we can all benefit from having a healthy lifestyle. And if you hear some of the, you know, risk factors that can lead to the development of osteoarthritis, we can all work on these things. Our diet, our sleep, our stress, our fiber intake, all of these things add up for a healthy life. And I think this is a really great episode for everybody to listen to. As Valerie said, she was diagnosed with osteoarthritis at 27. Um, It's not just, you know, a disease for older people, you know, it can happen when you're younger. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, It's right close to what I do, how I work with people, you know, whether it is through diet, whether it is through movement and, you know, just really working on these preventative measures to help protect our health for our future. So let's have a listen in to the conversation. Hi, I'm Kate Boyle, and welcome to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you health information from diet and lifestyle to movement and nutrition. My aim is to bring you bite-sized pieces of information that you can instigate into your everyday life to change your health. everyone and welcome back to the Mind Movement Health Podcast. This week I'm super excited as I have the lovely Valerie on the show. She's an osteoarthritis wellness specialist and today we're going to be chatting about osteoarthritis and arthritis. So welcome to the show, Valerie. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Now this topic, uh, being a Pilates instructor myself and working with a lot of older clients, you know, in a studio setting and a rehab setting, I work with a lot of clients that suffer from arthritis, osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, and, and all the rest of it. But before we dive into that, I just would love you to introduce yourself to the listeners and share a little bit about what you do. Okay. All right. So um, I'm Valerie and I am an osteoarthritis wellness specialist. Uh, I help people with osteoarthritis adopt the habits needed to live their best active, healthy lives. I'm a certified health coach and I've been a registered nurse for over 25 years. But what makes me um, unique um, is that I also I've lived with uh, osteoarthritis for over 20 years which is a really long time. <laughs> yes, I was very young when I was diagnosed. Um I was diagnosed when I was 27. That is young, you know, for what is the average age generally for sort of developing arthritis or osteoarthritis? 
So it's most common after age um, 40, but it, it really can develop at, at any age. But um, over 40 is most common. It's actually, you know, the statistics are a little strange. Um, they say most people who have osteoarthritis are under 65, but it is more common to be diagnosed with osteoarthritis the older that you get. Yeah. And for you, what was it like being diagnosed with that at such a young age? So, well, I was 27 and I was um, probably a a bit emotionally immature at the time. You know, I still had a bit of that teenager rebelliousness um, carrying over. Um, And when I was told, so I was um, just getting into um, hiking and stuff, and that was really healing for me and I really needed to to do that. And I I went to my doctor, I had some knee pain. And when she uh sent me for x-rays and then when she was telling me the x-ray results, she told me that I had I had uh, arthritis in both knees and that I should just learn to put my feet up and relax. Oh. <laughs> which yeah, really was an option uh for me at that time. So you know I kind of was just probably in denial first um you know i i re- i definitely rejected her advice and that's a good thing because you know now we know that um one of the worst things that you can do with osteoarthritis is not move mm. um and then i was pretty much just stubborn and i i pushed through i dealt with the pain i looked for ways to adapt uh to what i had like you know, I started using hiking poles, footwear became more important, uh, braces, um, NSAIDs, but, you know, mostly just a lot of uh, fortitude. It seems like hiking's always hurt for me. It's just <laughs> part of it. Um, so it's just, I've just learned to adapt back then. Yeah. Um, you know, I probably looked for some things to help, but um, I was a nurse, so I was, I did, was able to do you know, I had some knowledge, but not really enough at that time to, um, you know, totally dive into the research and see what was known, although not as much was known back then as is known now. Yeah. And we'll dive into that in a little bit, but I just wanted to sort of touch on, I'm assuming that this is why, you know, obviously struggling with, you know, that sort of early diagnosis of osteoarthritis, it's probably what I'm assuming inspired you to then specialize in the field and help others because you've obviously gone through your own unique journey. Yes. Um, and it's it's more than that. It's just that still, even though we have all this new knowledge, this the old science is still being peddled out there you know, um, everywhere, social media on, um, you know, health magazines that are on the internet, doctors, um, you know, they say it takes 24 years for new research to get into the hands of doctors. So what's really inspired me to, to work with this and to share what I know is that people are still being told the wrong thing. And, People are there. They feel hopeless. They feel desperate. And there is such a need out there. Yeah. And young, you see it younger and younger now too. Yeah. Well, I know I had a client the other week in class and she was, um, it's cold here in Australia at the minute. It's winter. And she was complaining that her big toe was really quite sore when she was walking, but no other time and no history of an injury. And she's 47. And I said, you know what? 
I said, it actually might be the start of arthritis. I said, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll do some mobilization exercises, but we'll just pay attention. Um, you know, we'll put some heat on it and see how it reacts and, and sort of go through there. And she was a bit shocked because she was a bit like, I'm too young. Like I'm in my forties. It couldn't possibly be something like that. So yeah, I, I noticed that. And that was somebody in their forties, let alone their twenties. Yep. You see that a lot. Yeah. It's um, definitely, and people have this image that it's the old hunched over person who has osteoarthritis, but there's a lot of active people who want to stay active, who have it, who are diagnosed with it as well. And what has the research sort of brought through in the last 20 years? What has been the sort of, you know, new ways of working with arthritis and treating it? So the so I'll go into the old way, and I think probably a lot of people have this um, image of osteoarthritis. It's a, it's a wear and tear disease, right? So we have uh, cartilage in our joint, and the the main purpose of the cartilage is to pro, uh, provide a smooth gliding surface for our joints. And for some reason, um, with osteoarthritis, I don't, you know, when you really when you think about it. it kind of starts to sound a little crazy that all of a sudden the wearing that was perfectly fine for all those years in your life for some reason now the cartilage is starting to get worn down so that's the old thoughts on what caused it but over the past 20 years it's become widely accepted that it is uh, largely a inflammation driven uh, process that it is inflammation that is breaking down that is causing the body to break down the cartilage and that it involves much more than the cartilage that it involves the entire joint structure so it's not just the cartilage it's everything that surrounds it yeah and what other sort of type of you know you touched on you know inflammation and listeners might you know if they've been listening to a few episodes they've heard stuff about inflammation but can you dive into a little bit more about what may be causing that inflammation so yeah a lot of um life uh, lifestyle factors can cause inflammation so some people just have higher inflammation levels um but then it's also it's also diet we're eating the wrong foods a lot of foods can um cause inflammation you know the diet that we eat I was usually because I'm in a I'm in the United States um in America the, the diet's pretty poor here um you know we don't eat the foods that we evolved to eat um and I, I have a feeling that's probably the same case in most um first world countries yeah a hundred percent too um, much sugar yeah. too many seed oils you know just not yeah, enough fruits too and much, veggies <laughs> too many factories that produce food and not enough um food that's coming right from the farm so uh diet definitely plays a role um carrying excess fat uh that causes inflammation you know they used to think that the you know the wear and tear uh, theory was that the more weight you had, the more um, impact was on your joints. But, you know, they find that if someone is overweight or is carrying extra extra fat, that the um, they also have an increased incidence of hand um, arthritis and we don't walk on our hands. No, that's really interesting. So it's really that yeah, fat uh, fat cells produce inflammatory chemicals, and it can raise inflammation in the body. So that's a, another 
a big thing that can contribute to um, inflammation. And now they're starting to think that that's why it also, that's also a risk factor for many other uh, diseases. And then also uh, stress can play a big role that this is kind of what brought it to a head for me not too long ago. Um, you know, the stress and and also on top of that, not being able to take care of myself. This was um, occupational stress brought on by COVID. Um, that can really play a role, can cause our inflammation levels to, to get high and to stay high. And then also a lack of sleep, poor sleep can cause inflammation levels to spike. Um, not enough activity, people that don't get enough activity, you know, exercise is good for the joints, but it also lowers inflammation. And then, you know, emotional dysfunction, that's another where people are always in that that fight or flight, or they're quick to react with, with anger or sadness. Uh, th- that's another factor yeah. that can contribute to the inflammation. On the podcast, we talk a lot about all of these lifestyle factors because, you know, living, you know, as a whole, everything is interconnected. So uh, it's, you know, I think a lot of people will be listening and, and like you said, they're probably used to hearing it's just about wear and tear when it comes to osteoarthritis. Yes. And, and you know, I know I've heard that years ago in my early training, but as you said, the more research that's come out, the more we've learned more about it. So is there typically, you mentioned like, you know, carrying excess weight and that the people often have a higher rate of arthritis in their hands. Is there a generally, you know, if somebody is in, you know, first gets getting diagnosed with arthritis, does it tend to turn up in the hands or the feet or the, is there a common place that it tends to turn up more than somewhere else? So the top three is, um, and this is in the United States, it could be different where you are, but it's the top three here is um, knee, hands, and then hips. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Um, but, but you also see it in the feet, um, in the neck, in the spine, you know, the lower spine, shoulders, it can show up in any any joint. Yeah. Ah, well, there you go. I see a lot of hands in my practice and hips and then probably feet. They're probably the top three that I see and then maybe neck after that. But yeah, like you said, I guess it just depends on the range of people that you're teaching and stuff too. Uh, but is there, you know, I know one of the questions that we were talking about earlier is that, um, you know, when you're developing arthritis, maybe from an early age, is there any sort of catalyst that might propel it to happen in that, you know, is it some of these factors are just starting to come through early and that there might be more information present at an earlier age? Is there genetics that might be a factor? Is there something, you know, something that might've happened in your childhood that may propel it along as well? Yes. So, um, yeah, genetics can be a factor, you know, one of the risk factors is older age, but then in younger people, you know, the the overweight, um, a history of joint injuries, especially um, knee injuries. You see that a lot. There's a big uh, push right now by the Osteoarthritis Action Alliance to limit uh, ACL injuries in children because that can lead to the early development of osteoarthritis in the knee. Um, And then also uh, repetitive stress on the joint. So, you know, movement is good, but sometimes, you know, you have like something that you just do over and over, um, you know, like carpenters that are nailing overhead can develop osteoarthritis in the shoulder, uh, bone deformities. And, you know, some people are born with these 
bone deformities or these uh, malalignments or malformed, uh, malformed joints. And they really don't know until it starts to be a problem. Um, and then certain metabolic diseases also put people at risk. And um, then also, um, and this is something I've just found out recently, which was kind of striking to me because I had a bit of a turbulent childhood uh, myself, was that, uh, you know, growing up in a dysfunctional home or experiencing adverse childhood events or, you know, neglect, abuse and other types of trauma increases the risk that you're going to ha- uh, develop osteoarthritis as an adult. Oh, that is interesting because I, you know, I would have, like you sort of saying that sort of repetitive movement, it's finding that balance with movement. If you do too much, do you know what I mean? I find I've worked with a few mm-hmm. dancers that hit their sort of mid-30s and they've done a lot of dancing, either professional dance or or just lots of dancing as a younger child and they end up developing um, arthritis in their hips. Um, I've had a couple. And also people as well that, like you were saying, with the mal sort of deformed joints in the sense that, um, you know, babies get checked nowadays, their hips get checked, you know, for the clicking and stuff earlier on, but I find a lot of um, older clients that that might not have been picked up on earlier in life that they often start to develop um, arthritis in the hip too. Mm. So I see a lot yes. of that, but I didn't know the link with emotional trauma and that coming through. So that's kind of fascinating. But I guess, as you were saying before, if you're in that sort of inflammatory state with stress and you know not enough sleep and not enough support then your body's going to be constantly there for a longer period of time yeah because um you know people that grow up in situations like that they had developed like this constant fight or flight and that's causes you know inflammation to be there muscle tension it can cause the malalignments because you have muscle tension so it it kind of compounds yeah, and it makes total sense, but I, I just hadn't thought, thought about connecting those kind of dots before, so it's really interesting. So if there's some listeners that are like, oh, I think I might have some arthritis, I, you know, have some, you know, aches and pains and some joints that maybe occasionally flare up or have started to give them some grief, you know, what advice would you give them? Where would you, you know, sort of advise them to start in managing their osteoarthritis? All right. So the first thing that I usually tell people is to not give up hope because a lot of people do. They they hear that word and they have that image in, of their head of someone, you know, crippled with osteoarthritis and, you know, that can lead to a loss of hope and uh, despair. And then next, I tell people to move more, not less because movement is, is very, very important. And then um, to adopt an anti-inflammatory lifestyle. So to start making lifestyle choices that fight inflammation rather than feed it. Yep. And I'm assuming, you know, when I'm working with clients and and I talk to them about their arthritis, um, because I have a few that sort of come to me with the referrals from the doctor and stuff, and they think they can't move. They're like, and they also don't move because they're in a lot of pain too. So they often get to me in a lot of pain. And so we have to start with gentle movement. And, you know, I start making sure that they can connect to their abdominals and their breath so that we can help with stress. And then obviously strengthening, you know, it might be glutes or whatever it may be. 
But then on top of that, they may start to ask me what other forms of exercise is supportive besides Pilates. What do you often sort of suggest as specific exercise for someone with osteoarthritis? So really any any movement that doesn't hurt, um, you know, walk, any any movement that they can do, because even a little bit of pain, is it's okay. Um because pain doesn't mean you're doing more damage. So it's still okay to get out, you know, even if you're if your knee hurts, as long as you you can tolerate it and it doesn't cause you stress or uh, despair that to feel that pain and that's a whole other of uh, heart is to look at starting to look at pain differently. But uh walking is good and but to gradually increase so like I just had someone, she went to the chiropractor and all of a sudden her hip didn't hurt. So she went out and walked two miles <laughs> after not being able to walk for a while. And what do you think happened? She pulled up um, really so <laughs> The next day she, she was back to where she started. Yep. So it's really, you know, you really want to start off gradually if you haven't been um, doing any activity for a while. So, you know, even just a quarter mile walking or, you know, if you're cycling you can cycle start with just five or ten minutes um you know it's really important to a lot of people say the pool the you hear the pool the water exercises a lot that's kind of a cliche for osteoarthritis but it is important to get land-based exercises in too uh and especially for women because that prevents the osteoporosis from occurring so you still need to get those weight-based, the weight-bearing land-based exercises in. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I do a lot of work with my clients um, on balance and that as well. So lots of balance work, lots of bone strength yep. work. Um, as you said, just trying to, you know, build up that bone strength to prevent osteo, you know, um, osteoporosis. And then obviously just to help that joint movement as well for the arthritis. Yes. Uh, balance exercises and strengthening exercises are very important and, and Pilates are, is an excellent way to, to build strength. Yay. <laughs> well, yes, I do. It really is. I, I would love to do them more. I have a book, but because <laughs> I rock climb and it's supposed to be really good for rock climbers because you need that core strength. That's it. And because we do in Pilates really look at the connection through the whole body, you know, we do exercises that are going to work from the lower body through to the core to the upper body through flexibility and strength at the same time. So um, obviously, yes. clearly, I'm a big advocate for it, but uh, I do find that a lot of people that find Pilates sort of later in life often say, oh, I wish I knew about this, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you know, and so they mm -hmm. they think that the, maybe they could have prevented some of the injuries that came along later in life. And and I agree. Yes. And, you know, the I think a lot of people are surprised when they hear that strengthening their core is going to help their knees. Like they don't make that connection, but it, it yeah, every everything is connected. Absolutely. Well, I was just working with a client uh, yesterday and she had some knee pain 
and she said and we were doing we're doing um some squat work but on I have these they I call them hedgehogs they're literally like balance discs but they've got all these little dimples on them so you've got oh, to balance on them yeah you've got to balance <laughs> on them and I get them her to do them squats on them because I know her weight placement needs to be in the right place and we'll, we'll get better activation through the muscle chain uh, but she was like oh my knees are still sore and I said well that's because your glute isn't actually supporting your quads when they're working so when I give her that tactile cue of switching on her glutes the knee pain disappeared so sometimes you know you need that extra help but finding and playing on you know with balance and stuff I find really helpful with clients and stuff too just a side segue there into Pilates but anyway let's go back to osteoarthritis Uh, is there anything that you kind of wish women knew more about when they sort of you know if they're getting diagnosed that there might be something that they're afraid of or maybe people don't generally know much about yeah, well, I mean, I think the big one is that it's it's not wear and tear. Um, people and doctors are still saying it. <laughs> it hurts me to see it. Uh, it's still out there. It's people are still being told that when they're diagnosed that. And another term you hear a lot is is bone on bone, um, mm. and that really brings up this horrible image. And how does it not increase pain for a doctor to tell? a patient that their bones are grinding together. And it's very rare that all the cartilage is gone. You know, there might be a part of the cartilage that has eroded down to the bone. Um, I have that. I have like a full thickness part that there's no cartilage left, but there's still cartilage there. So the the grinding isn't occurring. Uh, the pain isn't coming from the bones rubbing together. Uh, cartilage has no nerves. Um, the ends of our bones have no nerves. The sides of our bones have nerve endings, but the end of the bones don't have nerves. So that's not a, where the pain is coming from. The pain is coming from the irritation of the other structures in the joint and the inflammation. So you can really do a lot if you can uh, lower your inflammation in in your whole body, and then that will uh, translate to less inflammation in your joint. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you kind of pull up because, you know, a lot of people, when they hear that sort of, you know, talk from the doctor, um, they get scared. And then when they're scared, they don't want to do anything because they don't want to make it worse. And Mm -hmm. I find when it comes to movement, especially if they've heard um, it's bone on bone or, you know, it's in the discs or I've got a disc issue or, you know, something like that, they then think, that means that they can't, that equals that they can't do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so it really limits them and puts them in that sort of negative sort of, you know, mindset where they think I can't do this. I shouldn't do this. That's going to hurt. And I have to, I know, work with them to say, you can, and it takes some trust building too, for them Mm -hmm. to start to explore movement and go, oh, you know what? I don't actually have pain when I, when I do this movement. And it is, fine to do and I highlight to them too that everybody's different so even though you know you might have say five people with arthritis in the hip not everybody is going to feel the exact same symptoms or in the exact same movement or have the same amount of restrictions too yes in fact you know x-ray results are totally unrelated to the amount of pain that someone has, or even MRI results there, there's no relation. In fact, um, 
a negative mindset is has a higher correlation to the amount of pain that someone has than their x-ray findings do or their MRI findings. Yeah. I don't know. There's been a lot of studies to uh, show that people are, are probably most often better off not knowing scan results and they actually get yes. better results from their movement than the people that find out they have, you know, a disc injury in their scan results or whatever. So I think, re- like you were sort of saying before, reframing around pain, you know, reframing around, you know, a diagnosis is important as well. And I think sometimes, you know, doctors and that may mean well, but they deliver news in different ways and people take it in mm. different ways too. And and it can really affect, you know, people's mindset their level of stress and that has that flow on effect in everything that they do yes and another thing I I tell people a lot is um if you go to an ortho doctor because you know you have knee pain you go to an orthopedic and then they say oh there's nothing there's nothing we can do for you I hear that a lot um I've been told that several times um you know there's nothing we can do for you uh, there's nothing that can be done until you're bad enough for a joint replacement or you're old enough for a joint replacement you know I used to hold on to this hope that someday the science would or the technology would advance enough that I'd be able to get a, a knee replacement or a really bad ankle um a, a ankle replacement uh and then I would be oh I'd be like superwoman again but um, that there's nothing in their toolbox is what they mean. Um, you know, this is the, you know, one of the bad things about having all these specialties is that they really just look at what they can do and they're not looking at the whole picture. They're not looking at the whole patient. You know, as it turns out, there is a lot that can be done, but there was just, and he was a really good doctor. My last ortho, I adored him, but there was nothing he could do. So there's nothing that, you know, he means well, he wanted to do something, but he couldn't, but just nothing that he knows. So. Yeah. And I think that's where uh, it is hard because like you said, whoever you're going to see, they only know what they know and they often know what they know and what worked for them and their injuries or their loved ones. So if someone, if they don't know somebody that's done Pilates and had great results, then they're not going to suggest it or you know what I mean? So I think, you know, having that wider network of, you know, practitioners that you see and developing those relationships, whether it's not, it's with, you know, your ortho and then your massage therapist and your doctor and um, doing some research for yourself too because I think you know we can hear all this information but sometimes you know a doctor's specialty is not osteoarthritis so they only know a tiny piece of that puzzle and then it's on ourselves sometimes to do more research into it as well well it's unfortunate that the orthopedic surgeon has become the specialist for osteoarthritis um you know, most, uh, you know, people will, will go to a rheumatologist and I think that's a good idea to have a rheumatology out um, workout. Uh, I'm sorry, to rule out other types of arthritis, because if you have uh, pain in multiple joints, it could be something else. And if you have one of these autoimmune arthritis is like a rheumatoid or a psoriatic uh, arthritis, there's treatments for those you know, medication that you can take. And it's a good, good idea to discuss that with a rheumatologist. But a lot of people, once, the, once all that's ruled out, and if they say, oh, well, it's just 
and I air quotes, just osteoarthritis, rheumatologist wants nothing to do with you anymore. And now you're just with the orthopedic surgeon and all that they know to, to do is to do surgery. Yeah. That's so it, a, lot people are, <laughs> a lot of people are pushed into knee replacements um, when they really don't need them. I'm not going to say pushed, but that's what they're, that's the option they're given. And if that's the only option, a lot of times they take it. Sometimes I'm so, I'm surprised by how little pain someone has and yet they get their knee replaced. Yeah. I have that a lot um, within the studio, um, you know, especially things like laminectomies, like serious disc surgery in the spine um, or, or fusions as well. So it might be spinal fusions and things like that. You know, it's major, major surgery and a lot of the other you know, like you said, looking at potentially reducing inflammation, getting more movement, you know, addressing other lifestyle factors aren't really addressed before going down the surgery route. And I, if if I get to see the client before that happens, I always say to them too, um, surgery isn't a sure bet. You may come out and quite often you come out with pain and it's a different type of pain. It might not be the exact pain you had before, but there's often a flow on effect, um, especially when it comes to the spine. You know, if you're fusing an area of the spine, you know, then it changes the way above and below moves, which then changes the rest yes. of the body in the chain. So, you know, surgery can be fantastic and sometimes it is needed. Um, but I tr do try to encourage my clients to try to explore all the other, you know, lifestyle interventions they can do first before going down the surgery route. I kind of look at surgery as the last resort. And it should be, but when you go, when the specialist is the orthopedic surgeon, that's usually the, the first resort. That's why. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, they always want to do more surgery, so it makes sense for them to suggest it as well. So yes. yeah, I totally agree. That's the tool that they have. Yeah, that's it. And we are only as good as our toolbox. And some practitioners, I think, are fantastic at adding more tools to their toolbox or being mm -hmm. very great at, you know, I, I know myself that I'll often refer to other people. So if I've got a client in pain, you know, and we do a certain number of sessions and it isn't really helping, then maybe, you know, I'll say maybe we can look at seeing an osteopath or a chiropractor or a myotherapist. And then maybe we need to look at, you can get um, pain management counseling and things like this. Mm -hmm. So that there's lots of other people that can come in to help yes and you mentioned the the pain management that's very important because they're thinking now you know a lot of uh chronic pain that develops like I tell people if it's been more than like three months we need to start looking at reprogramming because your body gets stuck in that that pain cycle and what was causing the pain originally might not even might be fixed, but the pain it's, it's just still stuck on that cycle and yeah. that needs, to be, needs to be broken. And I think too, that often, you know, we may have something physical, like we'll say like osteoarthritis that may give us some pain. And, you know, we may work on some of the inflammation factors, but if when if there's emotional um, stress and, you know, emotional issues happening, I often find that the pain may settle from some of the interventions, but until we address what's happening, you know, 
um, separately from your movement, whether or not, you know, it's um, other areas of your life where there's a lot of stress um, or it even might be a history of, like you were saying, trauma that was never dealt with and it's coming up in some way. Um, I find that that really needs to be worked on to kind of get to that next level. Yes, exactly. Now, if you could leave listeners with just one thing that they could, you know, walk away after listening to this and start to instigate into their life to improve their health and potentially reduce, either reduce their risk of osteoarthritis or reduce maybe the symptoms they have if they've currently got it, what would it be? So um, I think it's, you know, what what you put into your body and your other health behaviors really do matter. And this goes for everything, really overall health. I I think we often um, make choices and decisions and we get conditioned to, you know, choose things that aren't really good for us and think that we'll worry about it tomorrow, really worry about it tomorrow, like in the future sometime, um, it was, will be the time to change, but really the time to start changing and to start prioritizing your health is, is now. And that's what really matters, I believe, for all health and longevity. I agree. And just segueing on that, when you are working with clients, do you tend to have um, an anti-inflammatory diet that you recommend? Is it more like a Mediterranean diet or do you just sort of say, you know, cut out the processed foods and and go back to those whole foods? Yeah, well, that's uh, one of the things that I say. Um, Also, um, you know, just I, I do have some guidelines, not as strict as you see out there. You see a lot of um, different versions of the anti-inflammatory diet out there and and some are pretty extreme and almost impossible to follow. Yeah, no gluten, no dairy, no grains. Yes. (laughs) And people, no nightshades, like really you can't have a vegetable. Um, So I, you know, they kind of surprised when they come, when I start talking to them and, you know, really I like to add things first. So make sure you're getting enough fiber, make sure, you know, at least 25 grams of fiber a day. Fiber is very important. It's very anti-inflammatory. Also uh, six servings of vegetables a day. It it seems like a lot to some people. So I like to break it down to two servings of vegetables a day. Um, And then uh, avoiding uh, trans fats are are pretty bad. Saturated fats, processed meats, the sugar, the highly refined grains, uh, things like alcohol, excessive alcohol is that's yeah. For me. I was going to say, that's a really big one. And many of the clients that I work with when it comes on the nutrition side, are, um, they don't realize how much, al- one, how much alcohol they're drinking and how much it really is affecting their body um, in the sense that, yes, it's promoting inflammation, but it can be affecting their sleep. It can be affecting their mood, mm-hmm. their energy levels and the flow on from that too. Yes. Like people like to come home from work and, and, break out the bottle of wine and then flop the rest of the night. Yeah. It's snowballs. That's it. And then they wake up at one. That's the thing with alcohol with sleep is that you drink and it helps you fall asleep. 
but then the sleep is not as um, high of quality. And also it, uh, if you drink alcohol before bed, you don't sleep as long. You wake up like one, two in the morning and then your sleep is, if you are able to get back to sleep, it's a lot lighter. Yeah. Of the night. Um, so yes, I love that you brought that up because I feel like, you know, we often talk about, you know, diet and, and food, but then, you know, things like caffeine and alcohol and that kind of just sometimes get forgotten about or we, you know, dance around the outside of them because it's some of the, you know, people don't want to hear that maybe they should, you know, cut out or eliminate alcohol, you know. And there's, you know, there's that old back, I don't know what, 20 years ago, that red wine was good for you. Um, You know, basically, by the time you drink enough wine to get the anti-inflammatory benefits from the uh, phytonutrients that are in it, you've had too much alcohol and it, it, you know, pretty much all those studies were, were done with the revesterol extracted, not giving people that much wine. Yes. And you can get that from pomegranates and green tea and, you know, other great sources of it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, But yes, I actually (laughs) had that conversation with a client the other day because they, um, I said, yeah, you know, alcohol, there are no, essentially there are no benefits of drinking alcohol. And there was a new study that came out for, especially for people under the age of 40, there is zero benefits for drinking alcohol because it just affects um, concentration, brain function, you know, all of these, your sleep, your mood, all of this stuff. Um, And they were like, what about red wine? And I'm like, and I exactly said what you said, you would have to drink so much of that red wine to try to extract the benefit that you've undone it just from the sheer amount of alcohol that you've had to drink. So yeah, 100% agree. So I love hearing that. Um, now, where can listeners reach out and connect with you and find out about what you do as well? Okay. So um, I have a, a website. So the name of my, my business is Genuine Glow Wellness. So they can, um, you know, reach out to me through uh, genuineglowwellness.com. It's all one word, um, you know, no spaces or hyphens or anything. And if they go to that website, there's a, a contact button and there's also a free gift on there um, for people who have osteoarthritis. I'm working on putting up another one. Uh, and then I'm also, I'm pretty active on Facebook. I am the only Valerie Baczynski with my spelling on Facebook. So if they could go and they can uh, send me a friend request or send me a message. I also have a very active Facebook group, a very uh, uh, active Facebook group for women with osteoarthritis. Uh, We just went over 400 members. And every week I put out a new video. Um, So this week I talked about uh, five foods that I love that I don't eat anymore um, because they were causing me, you know, causing my joint pain to get worse. But I have, you know, a lot of videos. I mean, I must have over 30, I want to say, on all different topics related to osteoarthritis and, you know, just a lot of good information there. Um, You can also find a link to that Facebook group on my website. I'll link it all up in the show notes too. So anybody that's listening, I'll put it all in the one spot. um, And I'll also put the link to the freebie from your website too. So everybody can just head there and it'll all be in one spot. But um, the Facebook group and stuff with all your videos sounds like an amazing resource, especially for anybody that might be suffering with osteoarthritis. Yes. And I'm also on Instagram. I'm at arthritis health coach. 
on Instagram and I try to post regularly there, um, you know, at least a couple times a week. Yeah. Social media is hard when you're trying to keep up with everything else going on in your business. I know it's like one of those things, just to something else that you've got to add on. Yes. So right now I'm trying to develop a, um, you know, like a step-by-step group program. I'm getting really close to launching that, but in order to concentrate my time on that, I kind of have to give, you know, let something go. So I'll be posting less on the Instagram. Yeah. But I'm sure if anybody joins your Facebook group, you'll keep them all up to date with the new program coming out and that too. The, 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 I, you know, I, I adore the women that are in my group. Um, I feel very dedicated to them and to the, and improving their symptoms, helping them improve their symptoms because the work is all theirs. Um, so I, I'm very driven to keep the content fresh in that group. And I'm, I check in twice a day and answer any questions, um, you know, make comments. So I'm, I'm pretty, very active in that group. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing so much wonderful information. And for anybody listening, if you think you might have osteoarthritis or you're suffering from osteoarthritis, definitely head on over to the show notes and join Valerie's group and check out all her stuff because there's such a wealth of information there. And as you were saying at the start, there's so much we can do if you do get the diagnosis of osteoarthritis. Um, and it's, you know, changing that mindset from feeling limited and, you know, not able to do things to looking at the changes you can make to, to really live a yes. full, full life. Yeah, that empowerment is very important. Having that sense of empowerment that there is something that you can do. And, you know, my, uh, people that I work with, they'll talk about, oh, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel now. And it's, it's really great when you you start to see just that hope. And then that ends up translating into less pain. So it's, it's great. Yeah. Amazing. And for anyone listening, if you are suffering from osteoarthritis and you haven't tried Pilates, um, definitely do um, reach out if you, you know, want to answer, ask, want to ask me some questions. Um, and I can always try and put you in touch with people um, as well to work with um, in your area for Pilates as well. So awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And when you don't have to jump in all the way. You can start out small with exercise. It just a little bit. I'm sure there's a, a fairly beginner version of Pilates that people can do. Exactly. Just, you know, even if it's five or 10 minutes, just to start to get some stretches in and just gentle movement. And, yes. and I always say with clients, start where you're at. Don't feel like you have to be at a certain level and reach a certain, you know, set goal by a set time. Just start and the movement will come from there. That's perfect. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Valerie. And, uh, It's been great having you on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening into the podcast. Please hit subscribe to be updated for each time we release a new podcast.